Christy and I, we are great to be back with you. We had an opportunity to take a couple of weeks off. Uh, we had a, a wonderful time using those plane tickets and hotel vouchers from 2020. Uh, uh, so uh, this pre-COVID trip we planned, like many of our, our trips, was put off. So we had a lot of fun in southern England where I learned to drive all over again on the wrong side of the road uh, with a stick shift. So you got to shift with your left hand. Oh, my. Uh, a lot of close calls. Uh, I did get... I did get the extra insurance on the uh, rental car, which we splurged. Um, so one of the, the cool things we got to do was spend the day at High Clear Castle, a.k.a. Downton Abbey, if you know that show, uh, which was so much fun. We toured the castle. And if you know this, this is on Masterpiece PBS show. Uh, one of the main characters in the show is named Carson. He's the head butler, right? And and and, and like the show kind of revolves around him. But while we were there having our picnic, in the grounds there, we ran into the real Carson, High Clear's head butler, Lewis. Uh, so we got to hang out with Lewis for about an hour, just making a new friend and talking to him about what it's like to serve the modern lord and lady of the house. And it was so, so much fun. Uh, God blessed it. So that was a good day. Uh, and there's Lewis. I'm hoping that he'll come to Roseburg one day because now we're buddies on Instagram. We're friends on Instagram, which means we're close. So... Um, <laughs> As always, every time I'm there, I officially requested an audience with the queen, but alas, again, I was denied. This time, word got back to me that she couldn't meet with us because she was busy dealing with her goofed-up family, and so I think she's kind of in a bad mood. <laughs> and let's face it, if you had Harry, Megan, and Andrew as part of your family, you'd look like that too. All right. <laughs> I do want to thank, uh, once again, Adam, Jay, and Mike Kildall for keeping us moving through the scriptures this summer. So teaching us such a great job. Let's give the three of them a big hand. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your efforts keeping us biblically grounded. So let's get to it. We are in the middle of our series for the summer in the book of Ephesians. And what we've said in this letter from Paul is that it, it, it's got this neat structure. It's very balanced. It's a six-chapter book. And exactly one half of it is deeply theological and one half of it is very practical. So this is a book that appeals to a lot of people. If you're doctrinally oriented and hungry and thirsty, this is your jam. But if you're also like, hey, just tell me what to do, Lord, then this is also a book for you. And then the theological section, uh, the focus is on the Lord and how the Lord is in charge. And Paul spends some time talking to us about how his will operates, particularly in the, uh, in the realm of salvation, about how the Lord's will brings about the gospel in his perfect time and in his perfect way. And then, um, and then he's talking about, uh, about this thing called predestination, how the Lord has predestined uh, Christians to follow Jesus. This is all motivated by his love. So Paul, uh, Paul hopes that we all come to know Christ. Then there's this section on sinfulness. That was a fun sermon, wasn't it? Uh, remember the dead squirrel? Okay. Um, and so that's the first three chapters. And then the dead squirrel that my daughter hit on Melrose, right? No? Okay. Uh, and then chapters four, five, and six, it's a how-to, like how to be a Jesus follower, how to be Jesus follower. 
oriented in your marriage, how to be Christ-centered in your parenting at work, how to treat others, relationships. We're going to get there, but real quick, there's this like this super great teaching uh, in chapter four where Paul just tells the Christians at Ephesus to stop lying to one another. He's like, stop lying, literally. Just, just every time there's a lie that's going to come out of your mouth, like just catch it. And, uh, and then the Greek word is just like, catch it and put it in a moving van and relocate it. Relocate lying from, from your house, from the house of God. Well, where do you, where do you take your lies? He doesn't say, but I say we ship them all to Portland because that's what that place is based on anyway. <laughs> so today we come to the end of this section and, uh, and it's the end of the theology part. So let's turn to uh, verse 14 of chapter 3. And what we're going to find here is another prayer. This section ends with a prayer. By the way, Paul's letters are loaded with prayers. If you read uh, his other books in the New Testament, he loves praying for his friends. He loves praying for Christians. Prayer is a, a dominant motif for Paul in his writings. And so this is the second prayer you may remember that we've come across so far in our study. The first one was in chapter 1. And that's located, again, at the beginning of the theology section. So what we have here in, in this is starting with prayer, a bunch of theology, and then ends with prayer. So, so what this teaches us is something, I think, about how to do theology, which is it should be bathed in prayer. Anytime we study doctrine or learn doctrine, it should be surrounded by prayer. Why? Theology in Christianity is not simply an intellectual exercise. Doctrinal growth is a spiritually driven process. And what this is teaching us is before we memorize creeds or doctrinal points or the tenets of faith or even in enjoying systematic theology, we have to undergird all that with prayer. So let's, let's keep reading now. And we're going to see in our passage this morning... Uh, a beautiful prayer, verse 14. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all then all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we all said, Amen. You can kind of almost see how there's, there's a beautiful ending here. This, this section ends with a prayer. It ends with an amen. And this is why we, we find the, the, uh, the content so wonderfully balanced. Now, I have to say, right after the, right, right off the bat, rather, that, that this is a, a deep prayer. This is a prayer that has some complexity to it. Paul's prayers are rather incredible. Of course, he's being 
animated by the Holy Spirit to write scripture and to, to pray these prayers, and they have been passed down through us. And, and Paul is, in effect, praying for us as believers uh, even today. People write doctoral theses on his prayer, on this prayer. So unpacking this thing and, and, um, and sort, of, sort of understanding the different layers to it. So it's a wonderful prayer. But I think sometimes Christians, when we read these prayers, or in this case, this prayer, we get the impression that, that in order to pray correctly, my prayers need to look like Paul here in, in chapter 3. And I think that that's not a bad thing, but thankfully prayer is much more and takes on more forms than what we see here in our Christian faith. Sometimes prayers are deep like this, but many times, if we're honest in real life, aren't prayers just, just more like real life? Are you with me on this? And that's okay too. Uh, for example, real life prayers. We get a lot of prayer requests here, which is wonderful. Keep those prayer requests coming. Don't ever be scared or feel uh, shy about asking for prayer here at Redeemers. We're a praying people. We get a lot of prayer requests. I had a prayer request a few, a couple of months ago. Uh, a guy came up to me in the plaza after church requesting prayer that his morning bowel movements would smooth out. Did you get that? His, his bowel movements would smooth out. I thought that was funny. Uh, yeah, I can pray for that, of course. I mean, what, what's going on? Like, we can, we can put it, Billy, could you pray for my athlete's foot? It's, praying up. You, it's flaring up. You bet. Um, we, we, uh, the last few years, we get a lot of prayer requests for people's pets, which is interesting, especially during COVID. Uh, you know, pray for my pet, you know, uh, so by the way, I only pray for dogs. I do not pray for cats personally. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because I don't pray for Satan. Okay. Uh, I just don't <laughs> have I offended half the crowd. Okay. Half the audience, the other half of you, I will hopefully offend by the end and everybody will be equally offended. Okay. That's how this works. <laughs> Sometimes prayer can be very, I'm praying for that parking spot. I'm praying, you know, for that person who just cut me off on the five. You're praying that like sort of non-curse word prayer, uh, like, Lord, just bless that idiot who just cut me off or whatever, right? Uh, but th 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 those are all important prayers. Most of what we pray for, though, is on the, I would say, the kitchen table level of life. We're praying for peace. We're praying for God's comfort. We're praying for spiritual closeness with the Lord. We're praying for protection. We pray a lot of prayers that the Lord would protect our kids, one another. Prayers for health really are part of everyday life for the Christian. Prayers for finances and God's provision are oftentimes what we're praying for. We're actually asking the Lord many times for guidance on decisions that we have to make. Lord, let me understand your will. I have this decision before me. I want to do your will. God, lead and guide me. Prayers for our kids, relationships. We have a lot of prayer for emotional healing, things that have damaged us, that we're just wounded and we need the Lord to heal, or those who've lost loved ones or family members, prayers for the grieving that the Lord would bring comfort prayers to support those in our in our community groups, our small groups, those whom we're walking with. Or just sometimes we're walking through the forest on a hike and we're experiencing the presence of God and we take a moment on the trail to just 
adore the Lord and his creative power in this moment where we're just seeing the visible beauty of his hand. If I'm honest, a lot of prayer is, thanks God, I I really appreciate this meal right now. A lot of people don't have what we have, and, and so we're grateful for God's provision. Or there's more honesty. Lord, a lot of my prayers, Lord, I'm really sorry for my sin. I'm sorry I blew my stack this, this last night. I'm, I'm sorry for my attitude. I'm sorry, Lord, for my selfishness. Please forgive me, Lord. Confessing sin and asking for forgiveness is a part. So prayer is a lot of things. Prayer is, is a factor of different situations and circumstances that hit us. Even in the Bible, you see different types of prayer. It's not all deep and complex. I mean, the, the, the Lord's prayer is very accessible to us. It's, and it's also not all quick requests, right? So, so you want to know the secret of praying correctly? Just, just, here, you know, just alert. This is a deep point. I'm about, to, I'm about to teach something really deep to you right now. The secret of praying correctly is this on your hand up. It's just pray. Just pray. Just talk to the Lord. Just pour your heart out to him. Use your words. Use your own words. It's okay to use your own words in prayer. The Lord wants a conversation with you. And that's what prayer is. If you can't think of any words, then pray the scriptures. Pull out a psalm. Pull out a section. Pull out one of Paul's prayers. You know where a few of them are right now. And just read those aloud and put them into your own heart and and confess them to the Lord. If you can't pray a scriptural prayer, then sing a song. Sing a worship song. All worship songs are is theology, theological prayers to the Lord with music. Pro tip, a lot of prayer is not talking at all. It's listening. It's being quiet. It's sitting and just being with the Lord. Prayer is both talking and listening to God. It's not necessarily about getting your list out there, about getting what you want. It's more about connecting with him. Just like we've said, remember that we said the whole point of doing theology is to grow closer to Jesus. It's not just to know more stuff. It's not just to, you know, have some more data in our in our minds more accessible, right? The whole point of prayer is not just to mark off like a a spiritual checklist. The whole point of prayer is deeper relationship with the Lord. Union with God. Getting far away from our sin and flesh and closer to the Lord. And, And so with that said, I'm thankful that we have Paul's prayers in the scriptures because they do teach us sort of next level types of high level prayers and, and so we need these prayers. We need this prayer in particular, the one we're studying. Paul, again, he's praying for Christians. So he's praying three things for us. There's a few more things, but there's, a, there's like three main items that he's praying for us about. He's praying for God's presence to be in our lives. He's praying that our, uh, he's praying that we would be able to grasp and comprehend the love of God. And he's praying that our lives would be fulfilled that we would be satisfied and secure in, in Jesus. We would find our life fulfillment in the Lord. And, and by the way, these are three of our greatest needs as human beings. We have a need for God. We have a need for love. And we have a need for fulfillment. We have a need for salvation. We have a need to be 
undergirded and accepted by God. And we have a need for significance. These are all things that not just Christians need, but human beings need this. And Paul is praying for this. So let's look at these three things. On your handout, you can see uh, we're going to work through this. The first thing that Paul prays is, in, look at verse 17 again. Look down in your Bibles, or you can look on the screen. Is that Paul says that, praying for us that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul is praying that people would have Jesus living in their hearts and experience the ongoing presence of the Lord. So this is your, your fill-in. He's praying that we would experience the presence of God on an ongoing basis, that Jesus would live in our hearts. And this is an interesting prayer because to be a Christian means that you have Jesus living in your heart. And so Paul is praying for Christians. And so he's praying something that we already have. And so why is he going to do that? And I'm, I'm going to talk about that. But let's back up and let me just mention that this concept of Christ living in our hearts is a fundamental of Christian belief and practice. This is like fundamental Christianity 101. Like many times when we lead someone to Jesus, if you've ever led someone to Christ, sometimes what we do is we lead that person in a prayer. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you're leading someone to Jesus, you're introducing them to Jesus, and they're coming to faith, and so you pray. You say, okay, repeat after me, and you have them sort of pray these words, and sometimes that prayer says something like this, like, Jesus, I repent of my sin, and then the person goes, Jesus, I repent of my sin. You know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, I repent of my sin. Uh, Jesus, I believe in what you've done to save me. Your, your death, your burial, your, your resurrection, I believe that you were God, you were perfect, so I ask you to come live in my heart. That's an awesome prayer. Has have anybody in here ever prayed that prayer before? Or something like it? A lot of us have. We come to, Jesus, I pray that you would come live in my heart. That's what, that prayer, this passage is the, is, is the basis for that. This passage and others. That Jesus would dwell or inhabit your heart. Literally, it means that word dwelling would means that he moves in and he takes up residence in your heart. Like that's his new home is a person's heart. So right now, if you are a Christ follower, you have Jesus Christ living in your heart, which what does that mean? Living in your heart. It's literally not the, 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 the organ of the heart, the physical organ. Paul is speaking in a sense, metaphorically, even though this is the, the word cardia, uh, cardio for heart. He's talking about that Christ lives at the center of your person. The heart is the very center of your consciousness. The core of your personality. It's the, the center of your identity. The central dynamic of who you are as a person is located in your heart. What makes you, you is your heart. And so what we have now is Jesus dwelling in the place where your identity flows from. That means that Christ is impacting you and me, that his identity, the identity and the character of Jesus is now in the center and core of your identity and character. And so this is the basic teaching of Christianity, that Jesus comes into a person's heart and it, it, Jesus doesn't just influence you from the outside. Like Jesus isn't just like on the outside of you, just like giving you advice. 
That's not Christianity. That's not the Christianity of the New Testament. Like giving you a few teachings and a few life philosophies. No, 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 no. That's a, he does give teachings and he does give worldview, but it's so much more. Jesus literally moves into your heart and starts tossing out all the old furniture that you wrecked, that I wrecked, right? All the broken down, nasty stuff. And he completely renovates the heart from the inside out. That is what Jesus does when you say, hey, Jesus, would you come live in my heart? I'm, I'm, I'm your follower now. Earlier in, uh, in Ephesians, we read in chapter 2, verse 22, that Paul says that each of us are being built together as a dwelling place for God. So you have Jesus in your heart, I have him in my heart, and then together, all of us, we are a, a, a communal dwelling place on top of just being a singular dwelling place. That's how a church is organized, and that's how we think of a church. In another passage, Jesus himself, I mean, there's tons of passages on this, but in one, in the book of John, in chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus teaches the only way for us to know God is to open our hearts and allow him to live in our hearts, thereby opening ourselves to the reality and the totality of who God is. So here's the teaching. Jesus lives in your heart if you are a Christian. Amen. Yes. He lives in your heart. He literally lives in your heart, which means he is there even when you don't feel like you're a Christian. Has anybody ever had a a moment, maybe a bad day where you don't feel like you're a Christian? Raise your hand if that's you. And when I say moment, I mean like 40 moments a day. Guess what? You're still a Christian because why? This is how we define Christianity. He's still there. He's in your heart. Even when you sin, he's there. He's there when you're reading your Bible on your best day. Sometimes we think that Jesus lives in our hearts only when we're doing good, like spiritually. Like, well, I did my devos today. I prayed. Uh, some of you even fast once in a while. You know, you're like, wow. No, God lives, Lord lives in your heart all the time. Wherever you go, you bring Jesus into the place in which you're going. Why? Well, because he lives inside of you and where you go, he goes. Why? Because he's taken up residence in your heart. Paul wants us to be shaped by that truth and he wants us to start living more consciously with that reality. Unfortunately, too many Christians live with Jesus in their hearts, but it bears little impact on their daily lives. Yesterday, no, sorry, Friday was the drawing for the Mega Millions Lottery. Anybody follow this? Some people are like, no, how dare you, pastor, pay attention to those things. Uh, Well, the jackpot had grown to $1.2 billion. This is a national lottery. Uh, Did anybody here win that? Because if so, we're going to switch over to a message on tithing real quick, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. So... (laughs) I was like, I was just like in the news as I was reading about big jackpots in U.S. history. There's been several now. I think this was the third or second, fourth largest, something like that, this one on Friday night. But I read this story about a lady a, a couple of years ago who won a huge jackpot mega jackpot. It was like 650 million. I think she was in, um, in Minnesota. And, uh, she had the winning lottery ticket for like three months 
but she forgot to check it. And her, and she was really struggling financially. Like she was like in a low place money wise. And, and so her status changed, her financial status changed, but that money made no difference in her life for like three or four months, even though she had the winning tip, the winning ticket. She was still living on her own resources, struggling through life for all those months. And then she barely made the deadline and then she cashed it in. And I don't know, she's probably bankrupt by now. They all go bankrupt. I mean, I hope not. I hope not actually. So, so why do I say this? I think that that scenario is a type of a picture that applies to many Christians when it comes to the presence of Jesus in their lives, right? Like you have salvation of this person that has salvation. They have redemption. They have a status change, but they still live off of their own resources and they still struggle because Christ's presence isn't impacting and affecting them. But guys, that's not the Christian life. That's not. And that's why Paul is praying for us He's praying for what we already have so that it wouldn't be our story like the lottery lady, that we would be running around Minnesota thinking like, oh man, I'm still struggling. I'm putting, you know, $5 in gas at a time. Although now it's maybe like a little less. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. I mean, uh, like just struggling, right? And so Paul's like, I'm praying that you would understand that Jesus is living in your heart. Don't forget that. Let that permeate your being. Okay. The second thing he prays for is our need for love. Okay. Look at verse 17b, which is the second part of 17. And then we're going to go down again. Look how many times the word love occurs in this little section. He says, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, the church, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, know what? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So look at this, this last sentence. He's praying that we would know the love of Christ that is beyond our knowledge to know. So he's praying that we would know something that we can't really know, but we sure can explore it. So we have Jesus in our hearts, which means, Paul says, we're rooted And ground rooted, think of a tree with roots that grow into the soil. We're rooted in love, which the soil is love. So we're rooted in love. Grounded, that's that's the word for a building's foundation. So think about your house, think about a foundation that's dug and it's poured and it's really solid and it's resting on the ground, it's resting on the bedrock. That's love, the love of God. And then Paul says. He was, he's praying for us that we would have comprehension of love in every direction. Love is in every direction. And he gives four directions. He gives breadth. Let's look at this uh, directional slide. We have that. He gives the breadth. He gives length and he gives height. And then he gives depth. Okay, so uh, for those of you who are math people, you know the Cartesian coordinate system. Anybody? I'm going to nerd out for a second. Yeah? Okay, Bruce Walker does because he taught mathematics at Roseburg High for like 100 years. Okay, they had math back then. He's retired now. Um, you've been retired, what, like 40, 50 years now, Bruce? Okay. 60, okay. I mean, okay, so, so think about like three-dimensional 
So you're, you're in front of a building and you go along the length of it. And then you come to a corner and you go along that side, right? The breadth of it. And then you look up and it's really tall and it's the height. So this is the love of Jesus. It's a big, huge building. And then it says the depth. So you're on the ground. So it goes down. It goes down in the below surface. That's where the love of God is. And so what Paul is saying here is that there's love in every direction. There's not a direction that you can go where you won't bump into the love of Jesus. Now, when I think of this, I think of, uh, I think of like the height is like the high points of our lives, right? Those mountaintop experiences. I mean, those really good days, that's the day that the baby's born. That's the day that you get married or your kids get married. They graduate. That's the day that they move out of the house. Uh, it's just big days, you know. It's big day. The day you get the raise, the day the reno is complete and it all works and you got the countertops and it's just awesome. Just big days, days where, you know, you're with the family at the beach and the weather's nice in the Oregon coast. I mean, how often does that happen? And it's just like a perfect day, right? So it's just, his love is there on the good days. And then the low points, the depths, right? The storms, the valleys, the dry times, the desert periods of our life. It's the time where we're grieving, where, where the stock market drops out, where, where we did, we lost that job or, or that relationship goes south. Those, those dry times, those, those, those times where you're low. And then the breadth and the length, that's like just normal times. That's like you're just chugging along. You're just chugging along. You're churning along and it's just normal life. God's love is everywhere you turn as a Christian. God gives us so much love, not only because he just outright loves us, but we're swimming around where our whole reality is surrounded by love so that it's not just for us, so that we can take that love and turn around and give this love to others. We live a life in love so that we can live a life of love. You see, friends, one day... We're all going to stand before God when we die. And God's going to assess our lives. And we, when he assesses our lives, he's not going to look at our bank accounts. He's not going to look at our degrees, our job titles, our accomplishments, or our social media followers. God is going to evaluate our lives based on two criteria. Did we love God with all of our hearts? And did we love our neighbors as ourselves? All the other stuff is superfluous. And this is what the scriptures teach us. The Bible is very clear that God's love is the primary objective of life. And God's love is the supreme value in life. And God's love is the greatest power in life. And Paul knows this. And so he's praying that we would know the love of Jesus inside out, that we would grasp it and comprehend it, even though it is really incomprehensible in its scope and in its size and in its totality. Paul nonetheless prays for us that we would live the love of Jesus from the inside out. That's a beautiful prayer. And then lastly, Paul prays, that we would experience complete and total fulfillment. This is how he articulates it. Look at verse 19 again. 
He says, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. This word filled means fulfilled. That you would be fulfilled with the fullness of God. This means to find significance. This means to find contentment. This means to be satisfied. Satisfaction. To be satisfied. Turn to your neighbor and say, satisfied. How elusive is this? Nobody is satisfied. As it seems like, right? No matter what you give them, what you do for them, it's like, you done me wrong, bro, still. And you're just like, are you kidding me? Is there like a dump truck backing up back up there? I don't know what that is. I have a little like, uh, I have a, it's like a, I don't know if it's ADD, but like when that stuff happens, I just go squirrel. What is that? I can't in my mind. I can't. I don't. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, people want satisfaction and contentment. And it seems so elusive. We want this at work, in our marriages, in our home lives. We, we seek significance as a culture in money, power, entertainment, sex, you name it. But Paul is saying true significance, true fulfillment can only be found in the Lord. The fullness of God, which means not just part of God, not just the parts of God that you agree with, not just like, uh, I don't know, the parts of the Lord that you find warm and fuzzy. This is all of God, the fullness of God, all of God. His love, his power, his omnipotence, his wrath, all of God. Not just a little G-God that I create in my own preferences and my own image, but with God-God, like Bible God, this God, the God of the scriptures, and it's all of him. And so fulfillment, we learn, is found in Christ. This is the prayer of Paul, that you would find fulfillment in him, satisfaction in him, significance in him. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it chasing around stuff and things and boats and all that. That's all fun and great and awesome, but it's never going to scratch the itch fully because your heart is made for, for, for significance in God. And so, so the prayer is, is that we would, we would have that the result of this prayer, I love this, the end of the prayer. I'm sure you, you uh, have seen this before, perhaps, if you've been in your Bible, is that, look at verse 20. The result of the prayer. So Paul's praying, and then he sort of busts out in some praise. He's like, I'm busts out like, okay, I'm just going to adore the Lord here. And he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than, we, than, than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. So the result of this prayer is that we will see the Lord do way more than we ever thought possible. Because God is able. God is bigger and more powerful, and he's able to do way more than we can ever think of. If you can think it, then the Lord is bigger than that. He's able to do more than that. If you can ask it, the Lord is more powerful then the limitations of even that ask. That doesn't mean you shouldn't ask. It just means that if you can ask it, he can do that, and then he can do more than that if he wants. If you can think it, he can do it, and then he can do more. This is the Lord that we serve. And then finally, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians ends not with them, but it ends with the Lord, to, to God be the glory. When our lives are rooted and grounded in love, when we have Jesus dwelling in our hearts, 
And when we're filled with the fullness of his love and who he is and God himself, then this means our lives give glory to Jesus and not ourselves. And this is what I personally want. To give God the glory with my life. That my life would be pointed towards him and that anything that people say about me that is rooted and centered on me. Ah, no, 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 no. Let's just vector it back to the Lord because it's all him to God be the glory. And then it says in our church, how about this church? How about the goal of our church as we help people fearlessly follow him is to vector all the glory back to him in our whole church family. And that if anybody says anything decent and kind about Redeemer's Fellowship, it's not that we're going to ever take credit for it. It's going to bounce off of us and go straight up to God because to him be the glory in our church forever and ever in all generations, in all generations, which is why we are so, so, so focused on reaching the next two generations behind us. I'm a Gen Xer. Anybody a Gen Xer? A few of you? You're like, what's Gen X? All you hear about is boomers and millennials. There is a generation called the Gen- Generation X. There's a little bit of, there's a few, there's, I don't know, there's 40, 50 million of us. This is a real small generation. We're just like right in the middle. <clears throat> we've got boomers, we've got Xers, we've got millennials, we've got Zers, and then we've got another generation. We don't even know what they're called yet. Annoying. I, I don't know what they're called. <laughs> We're going to reach them all for Jesus with the time that we have left in this church, in this house. That's what we're going to do, guys. That's where we're headed. Why? So that Christ's name can be magnified, that he can get the glory, and then we're going to tap out and let the next generation have their turn. And this is, this is how I'd like to close today. I'd like to close in a prayer as we close out this section of the book. Would you bow your heads with me and pray with me? So, Lord, we thank you so much for this prayer. It can be intimidating, I think, Lord, to to see and read these types of prayers, thinking, well, I don't really pray like that. But thank you, Lord, that prayer takes all types of forms. Thank you, Lord, that prayer can be deep and complex. It can be simple. It can be kitchen table. It can be theological. Lord, help us to just pray. Lord, to be a praying people. I pray, Lord, for what Paul is praying for us here Lord, that you would help us to know that Jesus lives in our hearts, that he dwells in our hearts. Lord, that we wouldn't be like that lady with the lottery ticket, having a status change, but it, it doesn't impact our lives. Lord, let, we, let us live in, in a consistent manner, that you are inside our hearts. Lord, help us to understand and grasp the ungraspable love of God. Pray, Lord, that that would be what we are all about. And then, Lord, that we would be fulfilled in you. Oh, what a great prayer. I pray that for each and every person here, for our church, and may you get the glory, Lord. May you get the glory. Lord, thank you for this time in your scriptures. Make us people of your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study and grow. We ask all these things now in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen.